I feel like the money we're saving is almost like paying myself for the work that I put in, like planning the hours of that. So be okay with just trying to be flexible with using your points how you want to, with knowing it's going to take some time and research, but it's worth it. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Jenna Hansen from the Traveling Hansons. Jenna is part of the Traveling Hansons, a family of six with kids ages 7 to 14. They love long road trips, Disney, and finding hidden gems wherever they go. In this episode, Jenna shares how she is able to travel smoothly with a family of six using points and miles. She covers finding award space, maximizing sign-up bonuses, family-friendly hotels in Europe, navigating public transportation, and prioritizing experiences over luxury. Jenna also shares how she was able to book Air France tickets on her trip to Europe, where their kids' awards tickets were 25% off. Air France is a fantastic place to move your flexible points. If you're considering a card with flexible points, consider the Chase Sapphire Preferred card, which is the most popular card for people looking to get into the game of points. Remember, if you decide to apply for the Chase Sapphire Preferred card or any other card, never apply directly through Google. Always use a friend or creator's referral link. And if you're interested in supporting this show when you apply for your next card, check out geobreezetravel.com slash cards. And if you're not sure what card is right for you, I offer free credit card consultations at geobreezetravel.com slash consultations. And we have links to the Chase Sapphire Preferred card and the free consultation form for you in the show notes as well. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. Hey, Jenna, welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hi, thank you. It's fun to be here. I am so excited to have you here. It was such a pleasure getting to meet you at our Denver meetup. I love getting to meet points people in person. And while we were there, you were telling me about a fantastic trip that you just booked for your family, which is super impressive because there are six of you going on this trip. Six of us, yes. We get all sorts of questions from people asking, how do you do this if you have a large family? Because it is exponentially harder to find two, three, four, five, six seats on the same flight with award space versus just one or two digital nomads who can jump on a plane whenever they want. So we're going to cover that today. Before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about you and how did you get into the game of points? All right. So I have four kids. As you said, we live in California. My husband used to work a very large corporate job in sales and COVID kind of destroyed that. He sold medical imaging equipment in hospitals. And during COVID, people were not buying that. They were buying patient monitor things to help COVID patients. So his job kind of tanked. And so our travel budget like <laughs> went down the down the toilet. And so I had seen some points and miles stuff over the years previous, but I kind of started like researching more and learning more and kind of just deep dove around that time. Like how can we still afford travel <laughs> when our actual money budget does not support that anymore? <laughs> 
So that was a few years ago. And so it's just kind of been a learning process and, and it's become now where I'm like helping other people learn. What were some of the resources you used to get started? How did you start with cards? How did you even start all of this? Because that's a scary place to be coming from is like, we need to be able to afford necessities, groceries, gas, school clothes for our four children. How do you even go from that to being like, okay, I understand alliance partners and transfer bonuses. How do you go from A to B on that? I don't feel like it's A to B. I feel like it's like A to like A point one point two point three. You know, it's like, it's a long process. I followed like a few people at first that I don't even know how I came across them in the first place on Instagram. And from there they would tag people. And so I just kind of started following, you know, a group of people and everyone has their own perspective and everyone has kind of things they're experts at. And so I feel like when you follow a lot of people, it kind of gives you the opportunity to learn. And over the course of time, you just pick things up and then I'm kind of a natural like researcher and reader. And so I do that on my own, like just through the magic of Google, (laughs) like finding out all the things. But I mean, I'm still learning. I still learn new things all the time, but it becomes the more you do it, the more you learn, the easier it becomes and the more things make sense. And it's just a process. Like you just start and just learn as you go. Like you're going to make mistakes, but you just learn as you go and it gets easier and easier. How long did it take from I am now aware that points exist to I've earned points to let's redeem some points. Oh, wait, redeeming's hard. I can't find six seats to, okay, now we are actually redeeming points. Yeah. I started with hotels first because that didn't require the same type of availability as award seats. We had stayed at Holiday Inn Express's top of the line hotel because they have free breakfast. And through my husband's job, he had like an account and was earning points corporate wise that way. Like that was my first card. I opened an IHG card and I earned those points and we used those points to book a road trip from California to Tennessee. And we used the points for like hotels along the way and coming back. And so that was our first like, we did it. <laughs> we we earned points and we used them and we got free hotels. So it was it was hotels first. That feels like an easier first step availability wise. Absolutely. A lot of people are like, oh, I want to just jump straight into first class Singapore suites, do all the things that I saw somebody else do on Instagram. But especially if you're booking for a large family, it is a lot easier to get one or two hotel rooms rather than six seats because you can fit four people in a hotel room in America. We'll get to Europe in a little bit where that's a bit trickier with the buyer codes that they have over there. But if you're just starting this for a family, it's going to be way easier to book one hotel room and put all four of you in there rather than booking for separate flights. So that is a fantastic redemption. What did you do after that? After that, honestly, like our we have an upcoming Europe trip. I know we're going to talk some about that, but it kind of became like, okay, we want to do like a big trip. And so we started opening more cards with that goal in mind, because when you have to account for six people, you have to have a lot more points. You have to book super early. And so we do a lot of smaller road trips in California. So we, and we love Disney. So we've done things near Disney, hotels wise, and other road trip things. But the kind of next bigger blowout redemption has been our Europe trip because that was like over a year in the making with earning points, booking things, the whole process. What was that process of deciding, let's go to Europe? Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's the kinds of points that we're going to need. 
Or did you grab a whole bunch of points first and then try to decide what you were going to do with it? How did you kind of workshop this? And what were the different phases that you went through throughout the year? Because a lot of people do think that points people just like always are booking trips like every two weeks. People are just always going somewhere, which is not the reality. Yeah, no, it's not. And when you follow a lot of points people on Instagram, that's what you see. Like if you follow 10 people, that's 10 different trips, even if they only go on one trip a year. But it was kind of a mix of earning points just to have points and earning for specific redemptions. I mean, we knew chase points were like going to be the most flexible. And so I knew I wanted to book Air France because their kids award tickets are 25% off and the redemption rates are pretty low. So, but all four banks transfer. So I knew I had some flexibility there. We really tried to rack up chase points. And then again, IHG points, like because Holiday Inn and Holiday Inn Express, just there's such a large global footprint. And so I knew that some of those points were valuable, but transferable points was like our main focus because I knew it would give us options of how to use them. And it was just a lot of research, like many, many, many hours of research looking up what hotels do we have? What are our options? What can sleep all of us, you know, in two rooms? What are the points look like? How much is it going to cost? How do we get there? What cards are elevated? Like it was, it was many hours of research trying to piece it together. And it was just a lengthy process too. Like we booked our outgoing flight first and then I didn't have any more points. And then we like, once the next card that we had already opened hit, I would like book one of the hotels. Like it was kind of a step-by-step as we earned, I booked the next thing. Yeah. A lot of people think that you have to have all the points, like 1 million points sitting there before you make any moves because there's a real fear of what if I fly my entire family to France and we have no way of getting back. Did you ever run into that fear and How did you kind of get over that? Okay, I did a little bit because I booked our outgoing flight from San Francisco to Paris, I think like almost a full year out, like right when the calendar opened. So like 11 months out and I didn't book our flight coming home. It was probably four months later before I booked our flight coming home. So I'm like, I know we're getting there. (laughs) Not 100% sure how we're getting home yet, but I knew my goal was probably United was going to be our best option. And I know their award availability tends to be easier to find, especially in economy. So I was like, well, we'll get there. We'll figure it out. I'm sure once I get the points, I can find an option. That was kind of my goal, but it probably was like four months in between where we only had outgoing flights. You mentioned you wanted Air France because they do have that 25% discount for children. How old are your kids? And did it take a lot of tries in order to find all six seats? Did you have to be really flexible with dates or was it not too bad because you were booking so far out and because it was in economy? It was not bad. That's probably my biggest tip if you're trying to fly with a larger family is do it as soon as the schedule opens up, like plan ahead, look up points that are, you know, how much flights cost for flights that are available now, even if the calendar is not open yet for where you're looking or the dates you're looking and then be ready with the points. And so I kind of knew we needed 20,000 points per adult and 15,000 points per kid. So my kids are seven, nine, 11 and 14 and kids two to 11 is get the discount. So we needed three adult tickets and three kid tickets. So, you know, I needed 105,000 points total 
And so I transferred those from our VentureX and from our city premiere. And then like right at 11 months when the schedule opened up, I got on and I didn't have any issues with availability. I think being an economy definitely helps and early helps a lot. I know if you look even nine or 10 months out, sometimes there's less, the dates are more limited for those lower price points. Did you consider trying this in business class and then say like, we're not doing that? Or how did that go at all? No, I just feel like at this stage in our life, I would just rather take more trips for less points, even if it means staying at Holiday Inn Express, even if it means flying an economy. If we can take three trips for the same amount of points as one trip in like nicer hotels or fancier seats, we would just rather give our kids more experiences. And so we someday, someday when we don't have four little kids at home, maybe we'll focus on business, but it's not a priority because I just, it's just too many points times six. It's a lot. (laughs) That is a lot of points. And the illusion of Instagram makes it seem like everybody is doing this like, oh, I have six kids, but like I fly in business class. Like, are you flying with your six kids in business class? And no shame at all to parents who are like, oh, we took an anniversary trip or I took a solo trip or a girl's trip or something like that. But it does always have a weird juxtaposition for people online who are like, I have a whole bunch of kids and here's a photo of me in business class. And it's one of those things where it's not necessarily said or not said, but like the children are not there on that same flight. But then somebody will see those videos and be like, why can't I find six seats? for an affordable rate in business class. So just one more way that the illusion of the internet kind of plays tricks with people with points and miles. How did you earn all these points? Just sign up bonuses or anything else, any business spend or large personal expenses or anything that you're earning more points on? It's mostly sign up bonuses. I've kind of gotten like friends and family to start travel hacking. And so we get a fair amount of personal referrals, which can add up quickly. So that helps. And then, I mean, as a family of six, we do have higher and we live in California. So it's not cheap. (laughs) Our life, (laughs) our house and groceries and all of it is not cheap. And I would say we do just have higher expenses in general. And so we try to maximize points on cards as much as we can. But the huge majority is opening cards and getting the sign up bonus. And we open business cards and personal cards. We kind of have a lot of options. How many cards would you say you open in a year to do this trip? Well, okay. So I added it up. We opened, I think, eight or nine. I think it was eight cards for this like specific trip. We used pretty much all the points from that. So it was like 600,000 points or something like that. So... It, t- it takes time to open those, but yeah, I think it was eight cards. Is that including hotel? Yeah. Tell us about the hotel options for families who are looking to go to France and Italy and other places in Europe where they have fire codes that are very, very strict. Like oftentimes you cannot sneak in a third person into your room. How do you navigate that? Yeah. So in the States, we very frequently just have a kid or two sleep on the floor. But in Europe, everywhere we need two rooms. And even in some places, the max occupancy is two. So even two rooms wouldn't be enough. So that took some research too, just finding which rooms or which hotels would even let you sleep three to a room. And then we need two rooms, three to a room. So we basically have reservations, say like one adult and two kids in two different rooms. But it was research figuring out which options there even were to sleep even three people because they are super strict. 
What options did you find? One of the most popular points hotels in Paris is the Hyatt Regency Paris Etoile. And so we're staying there. We have two rooms. We're staying at a Holiday Inn Express in London. We're staying actually at an Airbnb in Florence. And we're staying at a Choice Hotel in Rome. And so all of them had three. Some of them actually had four occupancy, but even with four, we still need two rooms. So I feel like Hyatt there's usually good options. And with IHG, there's really good options. Typically, I know Marriott has decent options. We're just, we don't really ever stay with Marriott. So I didn't even really look into that very much. It was mostly like focusing on IHG and Hyatt. And then I knew that with the city premiere, you could transfer to choice hotels at a one to two ratio. And I know there was some decent options over there. Not fancy, but you know, a bed to sleep on that's not terrible. (laughs) So I wanted to take advantage of that too. So we're doing that in Rome. If you're looking to earn more points and miles, there are usually two main ways to get there. The first one is with credit card signup bonuses, where you can easily earn tens of thousands of points by putting your expenses on a new credit card. If you're in the market for a new credit card, we offer free credit card consultations and provide you with personalized recommendations based on your particular travel goals, budget, and lifestyle at geobreezetravel.com slash consultations. But there are also a ton of ways to earn points outside of opening more cards. And we have some of my favorite methods like stacking, finding hidden bonus offers, and finding reimbursable spending strategies outlined in my free webinar called You Do Not Need 20 Cards. Check out the free webinar on geobreezetravel.com slash webinar. And we have links to both the free consultation form and the free webinar for you in the show notes. And now back to the show. Were there any hotels that you looked at where you would say they never really have anything that can occupy three? So for anybody listening, just avoid this search because it's it's going to be useless anyway. I don't know. I don't know because I feel like most of the main hotel chains have different brands. And there might be a certain brand, like I know the Ondas in London, we really wanted to stay at, but there was like no way to sleep us without getting three rooms. And that's just way too many points. But usually there's some kind of brand within a hotel chain that tends to have a little bit larger availability. So I'm not sure if there's like a specific, definitely avoid this. A lot of the more budget hotel brands, like sub-brands within a hotel chain, like you mentioned, AC hotels with Marriott have always been tiny. So that's one that maybe if all you're seeing in an area is an AC hotel, which is really, really common in Italy, might not be the best thing. Or the budget ones like Aloft hotels with Marriott may or may not have room because they do specialize in being a little bit more budget friendly. They do cater more towards people who are maybe younger and not having children traveling with them. So that might be another one to avoid. Did you find that there were anything like residents in hotels or Hyatt houses? Because those are very common in the United States for families where if my family is traveling with me and my husband, like my parents We'll just get a two-bedroom suite at a residence in. It's still pretty affordable. Usually, they'll just convert apartment complexes, one- and two-bedroom apartments, into residence in hotel rooms. That's not too much of a thing in Europe, is it? No. I don't know that we saw anything like that that was intended to be like a larger, accommodating, bigger families. So the Venice Hotel I had hoped for, which was a choice hotel, did not have availability, even though I did it like right when it opened up. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was like a glitch or what, but I couldn't get the hotel I wanted. So I had to reevaluate and we ended up booking a... It says it's a hotel, but it it, it is like a two-bedroom 
condo of some kind that we just booked through like the city portal because I used city points, but it's not even like a recognizable name or anything. So I mean, there are options that are out there, you know, Airbnb and stuff, obviously, but in terms of like hotel chains that you're going to earn points through, like, I don't feel like there really was anything like that that was like intended for bigger families or groups traveling together. Another common thing in the United States for large families is the Wyndham Bacasa properties where you can get one bedroom, but just say, hey, all children, please have a sleepover in this living room. And it can easily accommodate a family, especially if there's two bedrooms. Is that a thing in Europe? Did you look into Vacasas at all? I want to say I did. And I don't think there was any Vacasa properties over there. I think something like that Airbnb or Verbo is like your only choice for something like that. I didn't see any Vacasa properties over there. Did you redeem points for the Airbnb or is it a points earning expense? So that was an earning expense. What we did was we used a card that earned 5X on, it was like the quarterly rotating categories on our Freedom Flex. And I think groceries was one of the categories. And so I bought Airbnb gift cards at the grocery store and then did it that way. So it was money out of pocket, but at least I knew we were getting points, maximizing her points back as much as we could on the purchase out of pocket. That's the way to do it. Any other things that you made sure we have to account for this because there's six of us going to a foreign country as far as transportation? Do you have to get a huge van to get you guys um, from the airport to your hotel or are you doing public transit? How are you navigating that? So we're doing public transit. I looked into getting a rental car for our time in Italy because we're going to a few different places. And I was, and my husband actually used to live there. So we were hoping to visit his tiny little town he used to live in. But yeah, it was like I could get a 12 passenger van for like a thousand dollars a day. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So we're doing public transit everywhere. I feel like it's set up so much better over there than it is in the States. And there's just so many options and you can kind of get everywhere. So I booked all our trains ahead of time for like going between cities. And then we're just going to use local transport to get around lots of walking. So I mean, just trying to prep for those kinds of things, like make sure you have your routes figured out, make sure you have all your accommodations figured out. And then we're just building in downtime because when you travel with kids, you just never know how they're going to be. They could be having a bad day or whatever. So we have things booked ahead of time, but then we also have some days where it's like, we don't have anything planned. So we're going to figure out what to do today and just kind of play it by ear based on how they're doing. Are you concerned at all about restaurant reservations or just finding tables for six since a lot of places in Europe don't really have tables that accommodate more than four people? I know. I don't know. I don't know if concerned is the right word. I did not make any reservations. I felt, again, with the flexibility with kids being tied to a tight schedule or specific timing. I mean, some of that is required with tickets to the Vatican or whatever. We're going to Disneyland Paris. We have things reserved. But for reservations for restaurants, I just felt like, nope, I don't want to be tied to that. I know that we will find something. We'll walk around till we find something. And if we have to separate our party, we could. But I'm sure they're are other bigger families that they can accommodate. So not nervous, but be a little bit like, well, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> what are some other main concerns that people traveling with children or large families have that maybe you got concerned about or were like, how are we going to handle this as you were planning this trip? 
And then what would you say to people who have similar concerns? I just feel like I've really tried hard to balance planning and expectations and holding that loosely. I think that you just don't know how kids are going to feel or do. I think having low expectations is helpful because if your expectations are way down low, it can only go up from there. (laughs) And so we've had some conversations with our kids about safety with like pickpockets and people trying to put bracelets on and then make you pay for them. And we've, so we've told them some things like, I mean, general rules, obviously like not talking to strangers, but you know, some things that we've prepped them. We've watched a lot of YouTube videos about the places we're going to kind of get them familiar with that, to learn any like common mistakes or things like that so that we're all aware. I, I think some of that prep is really helpful because kids just don't know what to expect. And then that can feel overwhelming or scary. So I think giving them something concrete to kind of see ahead of time is really helpful. Having conversations about what you expect from them, what they can expect, safety. I feel like parenting is hard always. So I'd rather parent in like a pretty location. (laughs) It's just as much as you can and knowing like it's not going to be perfect and that's okay, but it's worth it for the experiences that you're getting, that your kids are getting, and that's what's most valuable. Are your kids pretty well experienced with traveling on planes? Yeah. What would be some tips that you have for parents who are taking a kid on a plane for the first time, whether they're three or seven or 13 or anything? What are some tips that you have for parents who are like, I don't know how my seven-year-old's going to handle a plane? So number one, it's like I tell all parents have snacks, always, always, always have snacks. Even if you think there's going to be food on the plane or whatever, have snacks that you know your kids like, because if they're hangry, like it's all just going to be downhill. So snacks is top of the list. And then we try to have activities that are age appropriate. So we have like magnet puzzles when they were little or like hands-on things, little boxes of Legos, coloring books, activity books. And then we usually, they have devices. We download movies ahead of time. So they're not depending on Wi-Fi. And we have headphones for them that are like comfy over the head headphones. Make sure it's charged. Make sure you have your chargers. So I feel like if you have snacks, if you have devices that can distract them, you have non-screen things that can distract them. And then we usually let them bring some kind of like stuffy or comfort from home that helps them feel, you know, safer. And then again, talking through like, here's what to expect, especially if they've never flown. Taking off feels a little bit weird. It feels like dippy, (laughs) you know, or... Like just some, it's loud or things like that. I feel like if you can set them up to know what to expect, that's really helpful because then it's not like shocking or surprising to them. Those are great tips. And they seem to really be focused on like, make sure you prepare for this ahead of time, which I think is fantastic advice for really success in anything, whether it's business, money, life. I'm not a parent, but it it sounds like it would be very relevant to parenting as well. Is there a certain amount of time that you would say like you should allow yourself this much time before going on a plane for the first time with your seven-year-old? Or like, what if you're already there? If somebody is listening to this podcast like at the airport and they're like, well, I don't have snacks. I don't have their plushies. I've just got a screen. They're freaking out. And people are staring at us. What do I do? If like somebody's listening to this podcast in the moment, what is your advice right now? If they're like, Jenna, I didn't plan for this. 
go straight to the airport store and get some snacks. <laughs> Do that. Also, if you're getting on the plane, talk to the flight attendants and let them know like, hey, it's his first time flying and he's a little nervous or flight attendants as a whole are great and so helpful. And I feel like they oftentimes will go above and beyond if they're aware that your kid's nervous or it's their first time or they can get wings and there's things like that. And just talking, I feel like communication with your kid, because I think a lot of times we, as adults, we know things and and we don't realize our kids may not know what to expect or know what to do. And so I think just having good communication and talking to them about it. And then also just if they're a mess the whole flight, then you get off the plane and you never see those people again and life goes on. That's true. And I know that like a lot of blogs and a lot of TikToks just make it seem like if your kid misbehaves, you're going to end up like on the front page of, oh God, they're badtravelersnews.com. You're not. <laughs> it's just not. And if you do, you will be replaced by somebody else on the front page of, oh, look at how bad these people are traveling.com, which I think there are way too many stories about that. And it just... <laughs> scares parents, scares people who like don't have kids where they're like, well, what do I do if like somebody gets separated and like I have, do I have to care for the seven-year-old in case of an emergency? And like the news freaks out everybody. So I think that's another one of those things where the internet illusion of like so many things go wrong. If we can all just act like humans, that'll help. Yes. Yes. Be kind, be compassionate, give grace. It's a temporary thing. All travel, all situations with kids, like it's temporary. It will come to a conclusion at some point, even if it feels awful at the time. So I feel like just know as the adult, you have to be the calm one (laughs) and regulate the situation as best you can. And then you just move on. Any other tips that you have for listeners today, whether it's about traveling with children, traveling with a lot of children, making bookings for a large family, just how to navigate this whole game of points and the mindset that you have to have when traveling with six people, when there's so much going on on the internet telling people like, here's how you should travel and tips for parents, honestly, saying like, here's how you should parent. Any tips for all of that? I feel like people like to tell you how to use your points. And it's great to be like, here's all these options, but like, don't ever let someone tell you there's like a wrong way to use your points. I feel like if you want to spend 500,000 points and fly your family of six in business class, if you can find that availability, then like, okay, if you want to get like erase your points for Disney tickets, okay. Like if you want to just take a couple road trips that are two hours from your house and that's all you do is to cover the hotels, like great. You know, I just feel like there can be this level of you have to fly business or you have to do these like amazing redemptions where your points are worth nine times the value and whatever. I I feel like you just do what works for your family, do what makes you happy, do what makes your kids happy and don't feel guilty about if you're using them wrong because there really is no wrong way. And it just takes prep work. I mean, that's the biggest thing is that with a big family, it just takes time to research and find options and booking early, but it's totally doable. And I feel like the money we're saving is almost like paying myself for the work that I put in, like planning the hours of that. So be okay with just trying to be flexible with using your points how you want to, with knowing it's going to take some time and research, but it's worth it. And yeah, I feel like there's just so many ways you can be successful using your points because it's just finding what works best for you and your family. 
I think it's also to remember, like, where is the bar here? Because anybody who's been on this podcast or that I've talked about or featured, like, you guys are all making pretty cool redemptions. The most common way that people cash out their points is really just to, like, hey, can I apply this back to my statement credit to, like, pay a lower bill each month? There's a lot of people who do that. That's probably the majority of people is just doing that where they're they're not even into travel mode. They're just like, can I get cash back to pay off more bills? There's that. And the second most common thing is cashing it out for Amazon or Roombas or magazines. And I know we're like, there's no wrong way to redeem points, but I'm going to call that a suboptimal way to redeem points. It's not not the greatest choice. I guess we're talking no wrong way in terms of travel, maybe. <laughs> yeah. But if you have to just cash out some points, like somebody was commenting on my YouTube earlier today of just like, well, what if it's an emergency? We had a long, long ago episode. I think it was like episode nine or seven or something where it was like, what's the coolest story you have redeeming points? And they were like, oh, like we got my sister out of a hurricane in Florida. I'm like, that's a good use of points. Did you get one cent per point? Doesn't matter. Literally a hurricane, you are living another day to use more of those points. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I hear about people being able to see family if like they're ill or taking their kids out of state for medical stuff, or there's all kinds of ways that can be like a great use of your points that's not focusing on like the redemption value. Absolutely. Yeah. The internet, the theme of this, the internet is an illusion. And there's so many different perspectives for how to live a travel hacking lifestyle. And it's a really, really good reminder with episodes like this. So as we're kind of wrapping up here, what would you say is your number one piece of advice regarding points and miles for everybody listening today? Oh, you, I just use them for what makes you happy. I'm going to agree that using them, cashing them out for like Amazon purchases, maybe not the best, but what talking specifically about travel, I feel like just use them for what makes you happy. If Disney's your thing, do it that way. If Hawaii's your thing, do it that way. If you want to stay close to home, I don't ever want someone to feel bad about how they're using their points. I feel like using them for what brings you joy and happiness is what's most valuable to you and your family. So that should be your focus. Love it. And speaking of great points advice, what other resources would you recommend to listeners today to check out for even more points and miles tips? Gosh, probably some of the people I've talked to the most that we've gone back and forth and helped each other. Nicole from Points and Miles Teachers is great. And Sam from Almost Free Traveling is the Disney pro. And I'm so thankful for her. Amy from Packed with Points is also another great resource. Gosh, there's just a lengthy list of names, but those are people that I communicate with regularly and I feel like are really helpful and supportive. Fantastic. And where can people find you if they have more questions about you and how your family is traveling and just where can people find you on the internet? Yes. So on Instagram at the Traveling Hansons, that's where you'll find me the most. I've got different resources and freebies and guides and things on there. And all this talk about Instagram being not real, but I do try very hard to be real (laughs) on my Instagram and not give like a fake persona or, you know, not a real view of who we are and how we travel. That is a goal of mine. (laughs) So Yeah, at the Traveling Hansons. I appreciate that about you. Thank you, Jenna, so much for coming onto the show, keeping it real here. All of the fantastic advice that you gave um, our audience today. So thank you so much for everything you've shared. Thank you for having me. It's been great.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly masterclass hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels.